Welcome to the Self-Intelligence Podcast, where I have radically honest and heart-opening conversations with amazing people who are willing to share their stories and information that can have a profound impact on your life. My podcast session is with Georgie. Georgie suffered from anorexia, which is a life-threatening eating disorder that started at the age of 14. Over the past 15 years, Georgie was in and out of psychiatric wards to keep her alive, and over that time she saw various medical specialists who told her she would have to manage this condition for the rest of her life. Fortunately for Georgie, they were wrong. Georgie completely recovered from the condition in 2001. In this episode, we explore exactly what turned this life-threatening illness into a gift that has led her to discover true happiness and to the shock of her family, she is now pregnant. Georgie is a true inspiration to us all, including anyone who is suffering from a mental illness, who knows deep down in their heart they can recover against all the odds. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on to the Self-Intelligence Podcast to discuss such an important subject uh, that affects way too many people across the globe, which is something that you have managed to transform, transcend, go inside and discover what the root causes of this issue we're going to be discussing in this episode, which is it's got a few different labels, doesn't it? Uh, eating disorder, um, anorexia, and that even has a few different labels as well. What terms do you use for to describe this history? Yeah, yeah, those two, I guess, mostly because that's yeah, that's what I was uh, diagnosed with, <laughs> um, and I was um, I spent many many years in psychiatric hospitals <laughs> in and out um so clinically that's what um it would be however you know there's like the anxiety depression like like suicidal thoughts all of that wrapped up in it as well but yeah the the eating disorder factor is yeah i had disordered eating <laughs> um that was that's just the fact of it. I, I didn't, I had restrictive eating and that caused me to yeah, get very unwell physically as well. So, yeah. Okay. So, cause an eating disorder can go in different directions, can't it? Like some people an eating disorder is binge eating and kind of getting to the point of being like sick uh, and then having to vomit and things like that. And that being like a secret kind of shame habit. Um, there's a whole journey there for a lot of people whereas in your case the eating disorder had led more to control eating not not eating essentially yeah so it was I was terrified of food and then it got to the point where I was terrified of drinking water um, I was terrified of being near food I couldn't I had to you know barricade underneath my doors of my room because I thought calories were going to come in and make me fat um, so it, it didn't start off that way. It's, um, as these things kind of start, they start off very innocently and there, it was just never enough. So I could never get to, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll be happy when I get to this weight. Um, and then you get to that weight and nothing changes and <laughs> you're not happy. And then it just keeps going and going and going. You need to eat less and less and less exercise more. Yeah, it's just never enough. I, lo I love that you mentioned just the level of 
psychosis almost like just the the level of creativity on behalf of the mind in terms of having to barricade off your door like with whatever it was that you were using to ensure (laughs) calories towels and things like so calories wouldn't enter your space i mean this is where the mental health side of it comes into the the conversation doesn't it and yeah where then diagnosis which often has a very fixed idea around it which we're going to definitely get into um because that's what i love about this work self-intelligence and how it impacts on what is so-called permanent as far as a whole range of different diseases physically emotionally mentally trauma all of these different subjects so you were having that to the point of being clinically diagnosed to the point of being in hospital various times give us an understanding of what what to the extent of that do you mean like being in hospital being admitted is this a one-off thing is it a couple of times like what what happened there? It can be for for some people, like everyone's different. And I mean, you don't have to go to hospital to like to suffer it as well, you know. Um, so that was just my experience. And yeah, it's it's hard because I know the eating disorder mind very well and it can compares against um, others who might have a similar thing, you know, and be like, well, I'm not as sick because this didn't happen to me or I'm not doing this well enough you know I'm not sick enough you know so I'm careful of the I know how the mind can just compare um already just with oh well this person had this the same thing but I'm not that so therefore I'm not enough in some way so I can only yeah speak to my experience but I was very young so I was 14 um when I was taken away from my parents essentially um and put into um, an adolescent unit and I didn't I didn't know (laughs) I didn't I was just being told you have you're like too underweight or you have um, an eating disorder and I'm there like no I don't like this is just me (laughs) so from then as a child I was already like this this is who I am like why can't you just leave me alone this is how I want to like express myself or something I couldn't um, see had that I was hurting myself and so for many years it was you know they'd feed me up ship me out (laughs) I'd come back (laughs) and feed you up meaning like how do they make you eat do they put you in a drip like how does this work yeah so I was on um, nasogastric feeds um a lot of the time and uh forced against my my will um for that to happen so uh yeah, especially as a, you know, a young adolescent, that was particularly very traumatizing for me, which has had other cascading effects in my adult life of, you know, uh, with control, still fearing like authority. That's a whole other thing. People telling me what to do. Uh, that's another running theme. They called me a frequent flyer. <laughs> um, they just assumed that I would, you know, I'd just keep coming back and that there was nothing that they could do for me, really. Because I couldn't separate uh, the eating disorder from who I was. So it's impossible to make any progress when I'm firmly in this belief of, no, but this is who I am. Because if you have no awareness of it, <laughs> that's the whole, like, the reason why I'm here. <laughs> I mean, you brought up the, like, yeah, you brought in the crux of this whole conversation. I mean, the whole 
self-intelligence work is about discovering who you are so you no longer suffer these things. I'm interested in the conversations you, you saw, what, psychiatrists, psychologists, those types of specialists at that time. Oh, yeah, lots, <laughs> lots. I struggled um, a lot. I, I don't know if a lot of their approach, yeah, wasn't particularly helpful. I mean, it also wasn't very individualised in terms of there would be a group of us in the hospital diagnosed with the same thing um, and just being expected that the same treatment <laughs> would would work in a sense and not treating the individual. I did, however, uh, later on, I had a really wonderful psychologist that I am grateful for <laughs> that did start to shift um, where I could start to separate uh, the eating disorder from yeah, who I was, and she was very patient with me, not forcing anything onto me. But still, it then became uh, just something to manage. So it was like, you have, I have this now, and now I have to manage it. And this false kind of like, I just accept that I just have to manage this. When really, is <laughs> the the fear of uh, yeah letting go of that part because I'm still identified with it. So for many years I carried that. It's like I look like I'm functioning a lot better <laughs> and doing normal things. I'm able to have a job now. You know, I'm able to sustain friendships more. Like people aren't worried about me dying every other day. But I'm just managing this, <laughs> um, and then that's also. The, like the underlying causes of it weren't being addressed. And so I was transferring, you know, my eating disorder stuff onto other things. So it looked like on the surface she's doing better. <laughs> but Yeah, management is a, a term that has um, put a fire in my belly for many, many years. Uh, I was also uh, diagnosed with various different things along the way. Many people are now with and depression, with... Uh, chronic back pain that I experienced for six years when I was younger and um, it was told to me at that time I would have that for the rest of my life and management it didn't sit right in my system it didn't sit right as like that's what's true and it was pretty overwhelming at the time to have so many specialists so many authorities saying that's your only way like this is we're certain the data says the data says the data says you know if you've had something for this long or that thing and da da da, this is what's going to happen. So it becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy in the belief system of all of that. So it's a it's a miracle that we ever come out of or somehow see other possibilities, isn't it? That that's even possible. It feels like a miracle because it was hell. Um, and I, you know, I thought that it was the hospital that was hell or everyone else, but I, I was, you know, in my own hell every day and it feels very real. So it's, um, debilitating, you know, it took everything from me. Um, and so it's a lot easier to just stay with it cause it's familiar. That's all I knew. 
um, anything outside of that was absolutely terrifying. So I was like, who, who am I without, without this? And so it becomes either like, yeah, I can just manage it or just to, I'm just going to keep it there just in case I need it. Cause that was my, my COVID mechanism. Just keep it there. Cause then I know that's going to be my strategy when like a challenge comes up or I'm triggered by something, then I can just go back to that. And it's just, it was that over and over for years as well, um, really until until I did the self-intelligence course with, with you. August 2021 was when it started to, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because I remember you saying to me, like, I'm not going to manage <laughs> You're like, we're very specific about we're not managing anything here. Like this is going to end you. And let's be clear about that. Let's bring some clarity around this, right? Management in itself has a place in a certain practical sense, right? With all different things. There's, I'm not against this word management in a, in a general sense. What I'm speaking about is to claim permanency over things that are not permanent to claim permanency over things that are not permanent is is borderline abuse in its own way. It's innocent because it's unconscious. People don't know they're doing this. They think that what the reality that they've got in front of them, like the specialist, the doctor or whatever, they think it's a fact what they're saying. And it's not a fact. It's a changing phenomenon. What we're speaking to with what you're speaking about, I mean, in who am I, right? Who am I? This question is not asked at school, is it? This question is not asked at home. This question is not even asked when you're on your deathbed in the hospital. It, it is a question that can be just remain elusive to human beings for their entire lives. And we are asking that question very directly because it's like, how many things have I been and how many things have come and gone over my lifetime that I would associate with me, that I am this, you see, I am this role, I am this, I, I am this like, I am this dislike, I am this thought, I am this belief, I am this mind, I am this body. And how much of all of those things have gone through change? And everybody, when they do this kind of work, everyone's coming with their different identities that they're struggling with. And you just were coming with the identity of this eating disorder. And so it's saying, that is not going to get managed. That identity level is not going to get managed. That identity level is going to get transformed by seeing it's not a reality, by seeing it's not true, that it is a factual, consistent reality. And you are open to that. Yeah, I was terrified, <laughs> but I was open to it um, very, very much so. Something resonated more for me to... Yeah, for, for truth, <laughs> essentially. And yeah, I was just, I had, I had, I had enough pain. I was, I just had had enough, <laughs> enough of it. Um, and so I was like, I, I can try something, something else. So what you risked is not knowing who you are. And like you said before, like risked letting go of, at least I can fall back on this. I can fall back on this idea of myself as the the eating disorder person. At least I will know what I'm doing. Yes. When I've got an eating disorder, right? Oh yeah. 
I know I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to fill my time with if I'm not doing this? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that pertains to everybody, whether that whether that's a role, whether that's an addiction, you know, whether that's some belief system that organizes values and all of these things. Because when we identify with anything that's not real, then suffering will come. A hundred percent. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the journey, some of the things you discovered that started to really crack this open for you some of those key moments maybe that you might be able to remember where it just started to really fall away this identity of this past I think it especially with the uh the self-recognition practices as well of um the just being in the experience of witnessing um my thoughts and actually not it wasn't just a concept it was oh if i can witness this i am not this that like landed so <laughs> so deep for me just that and so that is what is like the running thread of even leading me to now with everything it's like i am suffering a thought <laughs> with everything and because i knew if i could crack crack open the eating disorder one then that would it was just this trust that that would permeate through everything and it has <laughs> but it was the, just the simplicity of I'm suffering a thought and is like the one who is witnessing is like is there a problem you know also right now and really starting to get in tune with when I wasn't at ease and being able to just like discern what the thoughts were there. It didn't even have to be whether I was majorly triggered or not. Although it started there from having a, <laughs> a big trigger and then, you know, the process that we do of identifying the thoughts um, that come after being triggered and then going through the whole like self-inquiry process, asking questions Um and then also just noticing when I wasn't at ease and then how some, because for me as well with my eating disorder, it would be like a feeling and then an action and I wouldn't really notice the thoughts in between. <laughs> um, that would lead me to go back to do a behaviour or skip a meal or that kind of thing. Yeah, it was also then knowing that I could interrupt <laughs> the behavior or um, at any point. So in the past, I would say skip a meal and then like, that's it. I'm off now. I'm gone <laughs> for days, weeks. <laughs> it's like I couldn't, um, I didn't know that I, I, I could interrupt that at any point. And so it was also giving me the permission to, like awareness can come in <laughs> to interrupt this at any point and then it's also sitting with the the judgment and the shame and the guilt that comes after that it's like knowing how to sit with those thoughts which <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that right let's talk a little bit about that so just recapping on what you said every every everybody experiences being triggered and everybody experiences feeling not at ease with life in general for any given reason right so we get triggered 
And when we're not self-aware, because we're not taught at school, we're not taught at home how to be, uh, how to work through this stuff in any conscious way, there'll be some kind of reaction to feeling uncomfortable. And depending on your traumas, depending on your stories, depending on your conditioning, depending on your energetic constitution, there's a range of different things. Those reactions will play out and oftentimes down patterns of behavior that relate to your sense of self that is not actually who you really are. Yes. So there's no other choice but to have that reaction and to go down that channel, which like you said, can go be one trigger that takes you out for months and months, right? There's no other choice to go down that painful suffering track until you realize that was just a thought about something a pe- or a perception, a perception because it doesn't have to be a thought necessarily like a voice thought in your head, a perception and that perception that I had I felt uncomfortable about. Now as soon as that moment happens it's, that's interrupted already. Yes. Because it's not a reality now. It's more like watching a TV screen or something. It's like watching a movie now. It's like, okay, I can see this. I can see what's happening. So you said the first point was to realize you're the one seeing. That's the first important bit, right? Then the second bit is if you're hooked in and you're not quite sure what exactly is the thoughts that aren't okay with reality, then that's your inquiry. That's your trigger inquiry process. And where you actually go, oh, it's this. I can see it. I can see it. And we have very specific things, don't we, that we master, right, at what those specific types of thoughts are going to be so that you're not looking for thousands of them, you know, like you're not like lost in like the maze of thought. It's like I'm only looking for these key thoughts, these couple of thoughts, and then there it is. And then you feel the emotional connection with it, right? So Because it feels true, so it's got to have an emotion in it, right? So anger or sadness or depression or anxiety or whatever will come. And it's like, okay, I've got the thought. I've got that thought. Do you remember some of the key thoughts that were keeping your cycles going around this condition, like some of your key thoughts, because they may be universal as well. Oh, it, it, yeah. So it would also just be seeing myself in the mirror or someone taking a photo of me it was unbearable, but like so unbearable that I would just be crippled by a photo of, of myself. It would be even like how clothes fit even just physically being in my body, <laughs> I felt, yeah, disgusting all, all, all the time. Okay, so let, let's look at that, right? So, so what was the meaning that you were placing on your physicality that, that, that was so unbearable? Yeah, it was that I'm, I'm not, it always comes down to the, these kind of ones for me that still come up that aren't related to my eating disorder, but they play out in other ways that I'm now aware of. But um, I'm not good enough. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to, like my fear of being alone, um, that's triggered by that. Yeah, not being accepted or approved of. So then, so somehow, somewhere along the line, and this happens for a lot of people, you connected and associated 
being overweight or something around your physicality with being rejected and not being enough and all of these universal concerns, right? Yeah. That that happened somewhere along the way. Yeah, it happened pretty early for me. I was a ballerina <laughs> and a gymnast. Even though comments wouldn't be directed at, at me, I felt the expectation and the pressure from um, from a very, very young age that I had to maintain, you know, a certain ideal body type, like before I even hit puberty. So that's when it, like, <laughs> yeah, it just, um, it changed. But, but you know, it could have been anything. A lot of other people um, could be dancers as well, not it not be, be affected. Oh, exactly. I mean, this is what we talk about with the, the ego structure that is universal. Universal meaning I will do this work with people all over the planet and it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter. This egoic structure is there that has the same fears as everybody. The uniqueness of it is where it hooks into certain things. It hooks into certain comments. It hooks into certain stimulus and goes, that's real. So the ballerina next to you doesn't doesn't go on um, with, say, you know, anorexia, but perhaps goes on with um, being a workaholic and is majorly burnt out and has some kind of thyroid issue or something. You know, like it's a totally different thing, for example, or, or others don't have anything come out of that environment at all, you know, that, that, that manifested any of that. Somehow it just never connected with them that that was a problem. This is really key to, to, to recognize how that happens because that's what makes it seem so real is that I, I'm the only one who perceives this thing like this because of that unique way that it can kind of happen. But it's like, no, wait a sec. Because when we do hundreds of inquiries and you see them in the course, you see them in the community, right? For example, that one you just mentioned, the fear of being alone, right? So, so if I'm not in the right shape, this is how it goes. If I'm not in the right shape, I'm going to be rejected. If I'm, if I'm rejected, I'm going to be alone. Okay. Like that, let's make it a simple process like that. Everybody, how many people did you know did we discover had the fear of being alone through their triggers? Yeah, a lot of it comes back to that in the sim- simple form. Yeah. So, this is very unconscious, though. This is not um, consciously seen that that's what's happening at all. I, I mean, the amount of people I've spoken to, and if you were told maybe when you're 14, behind all of this is fear like what i'm not afraid this is just what i want to do there's no fear here there's no issue with that and so it's like that awareness alone is so massive just fear is driving this behavior fear is the essence nature construct of the ego and then there's all this other stuff that comes after fear right which we may or may not get into in this session so you have come to it, you've seen it, and then became the witness of these things and discovered that I am not afraid. Yes. Because this I is not the I of thought. This I is the I of awareness. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I could also, it was realizing I like I am not my body. Like there has been an awareness behind you know, 
all of the the weight loss, the weight gain, the weight loss, the weight gain over and over and over again. And the other identity, like identities that I started to play around with of, you know, I had the eating disorder and then I had the person, Georgie, <laughs> who was then going out and then like partying and doing all the other sorts of things. And I was witnessing all of that <laughs> and thinking that all of that was who I was. And yeah, and all of that was changing, but there was something that was that had wasn't changing, and that was what was witnessing all of it. But really sitting with that and practicing coming back to that. So then it wasn't just because, you know, the nice things that I could tell myself, yes, you're the awareness and <laughs> all of that, but that that wasn't going to change how how I felt. And so I was I really would love to um, elaborate on that because this particular work can so quickly, because of the fear that is unrecognized, because of the fear unrecognized, this kind of work gets turned into a conceptual, spiritual fluff place that has no impact in your actual practical life, in how you show up, in how you're able to like, for example, having this interview conversation would have been impossible to you not so long ago. It would have been like, I cannot speak to you and have my face seen, have my body seen and go through the unbearable ache of being rejected and all of that stuff, which is why so many people are terrified of public speaking, right? As in, And most people can relate with the sheer terror and, and actual frozen panic that can happen with public speaking because I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of being, you know, um, rejected, failing up there, being humiliated, you know, all of these different fears, right? Oh, yeah. And it's like I have no interest in conceptualized spiritual fluff at all. And when someone like yourself is so genuine and sincere you get these kinds of results, right, where you're like, I've had enough of this. So you you stood there as the witness over and over through many different triggers, right? Yeah, and oh, man, many, many, many into the, like, where I, you know, and would have a little win and then it would just kind of, it'd feel like I'd be thrown even deeper down into the dark pit of it all um, and riding that over and over again and, you know, having, I'm very grateful to have <laughs> my partner who is also to be able to share very, like, honestly with where I'm at and to, you know, when I have the awareness of, oh, I know how it's impacting him and <laughs> being able to apologize and come back and connect when I could have easily, it could have just been destructive in so many ways. So having that skill as well, that's a whole other thing. But, um, yeah, We've spoken about this before uh, and when you really were making headway and, and, and come out of this basically. And at that time you were saying, if it wasn't for what I've come to discover that I'm not this and literally not this to the point where I can let it go, if I didn't discover that, my relationship may not have survived. Oh, there's no way. Because also he, in his yeah pursuit for truth as well and no bullshit, he wasn't going to 
stand for that either. And so, but I trusted that <laughs> very deeply. Um, same with like you and, and then this work as well. It was a huge moment for me of like, I have to take responsibility <laughs> to clean up my own shit. Like, <laughs> you know, no one's going to do that for me. So there, the relationship survived. The relationship survived what would have otherwise destroyed it, right? You would have chosen eclipsed love over control, basically. Uh, you know, love over past identity, love over a false sense of security, all of that stuff. You went, you know what, I've got the capacity to choose this connection over all of that now because I know I'm not that, right? That's what it is every day. It's also, it's like, is there fear here? in every moment and I'm able to discern that now and so it's like where is love <laughs> here and so and to remember at any point that I like if I've forgotten that you know I'm I'm able to come back to that and that's a huge thing now that I'm a lot it's easier for me to see where fear is and then yeah to not let that be the driving force of my actions have you noticed um, in the seeing of what creates fear, love is what remains, isn't it? It's not like I have to love him, I have to love myself, I have to try to create love as a loving, good person that would, you know, do the right thing. It's like love just is. It's just what's here in whatever, what, however, like the reality is of how say he's showing up or I'm showing up in the true like listening <laughs> and seeing of that without projecting or um, assuming <laughs> or having expectations or being in each other's business, this type of thing of just the witnessing of uh, and yeah, true listening of that. Um, of just what is here, knowing that that's just what's here now. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and then we'll deal with what's here, then, like, next when that happens, you know. Yeah, so since that relationship has blossomed, you have become pregnant. You're about to give birth. Like, you've been pregnant for the last, what, eight months or something? I'll be giving birth within the next few weeks I think um that's yeah which is that's a miracle <laughs> that one yeah I didn't ever think it would be possible <laughs> just I didn't know how much damage I'd done you know physically um yeah it's a amazing <laughs> I feel very grateful. Um, but it may just, yeah, a lot's happened very quickly in a very short, short space of time. But there's a, a certain rightness, as you say, with all of it. What, what a beautiful uh, next example. Like I often will reflect for myself whenever I have dropped. And for me, it's a continual daily process. Like just if anyone's like wondering, it's like I'm – continually looking at my fears I'm continually seeing these things I'm continually getting uncomfortable by the unknown and being urged by my heart's calling and soul's calling to step deeper into the unknown and feeling so dreadfully uncomfortable and then having to look and then disidentify discover who I am and it, it just keeps going and every time that I, I experience letting go something new births 
from me. It was something you is able to channel through where it was blocked, right? Where it was being like, no, 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 nothing's coming through this vessel of expression other than what I'm able to let come through, right? And that becomes its own internal suffering. And so I was not surprised to hear that you were pregnant given that you had you had dropped this block, this identity that was you've let this go and now the new level of creativity can emerge because there's a, a maturity and capability, capacity uh, to then be with the new challenges, right? Yes, because that's it. It's like it, uh, yeah. And don't don't get me wrong. It's not like oh, I've just I've come through my eating disorder now, and like that's done, and I don't have any challenges anymore, and I don't get triggered. I've done all my work. Oh my gosh, no, not at all. It's <laughs> yeah. It's like there are challenges a hundred percent, but I'm not suffering them anymore. And there's a difference I, um, with that. Um, and I don't feel like, yeah, I've done, I've done all the work now. It's like, I'm, yeah, there's more unknowns. Like, oh my gosh, being pregnant, having a child is the greatest unknown. I have no idea how that's going to go. They don't have a whole lot of control over how that's going to go either. So yeah, there like have been fears there <laughs> for sure. But there's more of a, a trust now of knowing, like, I know what to do when um, things come up in the moment. It's trusting that, not trying to work it out <laughs> before, like, the, this possible thing, event happens. It's just knowing that I'm, you know, I'm capable to, <laughs> to address um, situations as they arise and that, keeps proving to be true. If we look at the crux of an eating disorder, which you could put to many things, but let's just stay there, is control. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's like this was my way of getting a sense in this infinite, unreasonable universe because reality doesn't meet my reason or ability, right? It doesn't show up the way I think it should, so... It's an unreasonable universe. It's a friendly universe, but it doesn't reason with my ideas. And so if I'm this singular, separate person trying to protect myself from all of that, this is how I'm going to get that control, right? And an eating disorder is its a perfect way. But what you're saying now is since discovering myself, I can trust that I'll meet the moment, that I don't need to be in control in the way that I thought I had to be, but in fact I'm experiencing more control now that I've let go of that false sense of control which put me way out of control. Oh, yeah, that's it because the eating disorder, you think you're really in control but you're so out of control. And this, like, this work is, yeah, and you've spoken about, but I know directly from my experience now that meeting practicalities and just the flow of life and making decisions um, and taking care of myself, like I thought that I would never, how could I possibly look after myself if I'm not 
like trying to control <laughs> what I'm eating and, you know, my weight and all of this. Like I'm just, that just seemed inconceivable to me, but it's the, it is the opposite. It's like I'm able to take better care of myself and have more ease and um, making decisions and addressing practicalities. And yeah, when I let go of that <laughs> false sense of control. And I love that you've mentioned this so many times and you're adamant to mention it, is this is universal in my life. This is not about an eating disorder. It's like, it's actually really not the point. Um, The point is that fearful state that was actually affecting everything, whether it's how I deal with my job, how I deal with my relationship, how I deal with my family, how I deal with my partner's family, how I deal with every second of this experience of life is now being approached in a completely different way that is yielding results in every single area of life. Yeah. Yeah, truly, (laughs) exponentially. And that's why I, like, I am so (laughs) passionate about it now too because I know, yeah, like, it's just um, everyone's going through very similar things just packaged differently, (laughs) you know. Um, and manifests in different ways. Yeah, and I have so like an like abundance more of compassion for everyone, um, for people who I'm triggered by, for, you know, <laughs> when, uh, yeah, I see other people in judgment as well, for instance, of me, which I've been so terrified of people judging me, you know, so much. And I now understand that there's fear behind that. And it's not personal. So it's also not taking things personally. And I understand now, because it is so universal, um, that's also helping me not react so much is because I can see where other people are at and understanding where certain, uh, yeah, behaviours or comments or things might come from because I've witnessed it in my own mind (laughs) and I've had compassion for it and I've, you know, come out of the, um, for the most part, it still pops up occasionally, of course, but like the shame and judgment and guilt of my own thoughts. Yeah. Well, like looking at that for looking at that from the perspective of control, everybody can relate to having this anxiety around control or the need for control particularly when things get uncomfortable or when there's unknowns and things like that. So someone may be watching this going, oh, wow, I don't, I can't even imagine having an eating, you know, eating issue, da, da, da. And it's like, that's not the conversation. The conversation is actually about control and the psychological need for control, not the relative practical requirement of control, which everybody is, is necessary, you know, but this psychological and and that requires such depth of awareness, doesn't it? Because I know when I first mention these things and when we do awareness practices and, and things like that, it's like, oh yeah, you know, how funny, how many times in the community has this happened? It's like, well, okay, I can kind of see that. And then a week later, it's like, whoa, this is like everywhere. It's happening here and with my partner and my daughter and my daughter and my daughter. Oh my gosh. It's causing so much drama and I was not even aware that that was there, you know. It's like every week is like this, isn't it? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had that with the need to be right. I was like, hmm, I don't need to be. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I am, yeah, <laughs> I need to be right everywhere. <laughs> I actually find the ones that you've, uh, the awareness practices, just to give this a little bit of context, um, Georgie's in the self-intelligence community where we meet every single week, right? And one of the aspects of that is, I offer an awareness practice for that week that essentially is the things we weren't taught to be aware of, right? We weren't taught to be aware of these things. So we don't know we have them. You don't, you you don't know something till you become aware of it. So one of those was like the need to be right. And yeah, some people are like, I don't know about that. And I find when it's like that is actually when it's often the strongest, Oh yeah. Was that for me? Cause I was like, Oh, that's me trying to be the, but the good person. Thing. If I was a good person, I wouldn't need to be right all the time. No, <laughs> but yeah, that was a thing for me with that with that one. Yes, yeah, the good person syndrome is a syndrome I talk about in a lot of sessions, and we'll be talking about in many many sessions to come, which is a, a very clever ego, yeah, piece of clothing that we put on to shield ourselves from our fullest expression hidden behind essentially judgments and the idea that if I'm the good person, uh, that's the way I'll get love. That's the way I'll get approval. That's the way I'll get acceptance, appreciation. That's the way I'll get what I want. But I actually believe that I'm being a good person for everybody else, but actually I'm being a good person. So I just get what I want and not knowing how selfish this whole setup is. And because I'm a good person, I cannot admit that I'm being selfish because that goes against being a good person. The whole thing would collapse. You see it as like it's a huge trap that causes mega dysfunction and yeah, just crazy amounts of drama in people's lives, this good person syndrome. So yeah, we'll, we'll certainly touch on that. You are so clearly in the embodiment of what you're speaking about and in such a natural and humble and willing to continually learn kind of way, right? Uh, I, I absolutely love speaking with you and I feel that um, and, and support you in, in your heart's desires to, to share this with others as, as well and perhaps support other people who have maybe have experienced similar things to you or who knows what. Yeah, thank you. That's definitely, I feel, yeah, a massive... Um, call to to share and to support others because I know that yeah yeah you don't have to suffer it there's just also my heart is like exploding with the amount of joy and love (laughs) um on the other side (laughs) is yeah um is worth sticking around for um so I'm very glad I'm still here and that, um, yeah, because uh, a lot of people didn't think I would be. Um, and now I get to have a family as well, which is wild. It's, it's very much turned in a different direction, hasn't it? It's gone from like, it's gone from disappearing to expanding in, in both in yourself and in your physical reality. A quick note on that. Did you have 
you know, suicidal kind of thoughts throughout that process? Was that strong for you? It is for some, isn't for others? Majorly for years. That was a huge part of it. I just, that was also, um, my eating disorder was an act of just me wanting to disappear. So yeah, I've had a close eye on me for a while for, for that. So it's just amazing <laughs> that I'm here wanting to like live. Cause I thought that yeah, nothing um, could ever get better, but, but it definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> And all it took was discovering yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, the, in, the true, in the truest way. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you very much. You've been a huge part of <laughs> me getting to where I am. That's for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I just, I just I'm so moved by uh, people who are truly sincere because sincerity is where it's at. You know, you can be given all the tools and process and blah, blah, you know, um, and, and, and I gave phenomenal tools and processes that, that change your life, but it takes sincerity. It takes, I'm really willing to take responsibility to, to be here. Just like you said, like, I want to be here now. I didn't want to be here before. And I didn't want to be here for all the reasons I didn't realize were not even true and were not even reality in, in themselves. But when they were a reality, it was a living hell. And who wants to live in a living hell? No one does, right? It's like, of course, get me out of here. Give me the first ticket. And the thing is, uh, I'm glad we brought this up because I'm going to be talking to uh, someone next in my next podcast um, or one coming soon where she's experienced uh, someone in their family has committed suicide and the impact that's had on everybody and how she's been able to cope with this through learning this work and major trauma going on and just challenges that are beyond unbearables, left, right, and center unbearables, right, going on. And so there's never been a time like this where the instability feels like the mental instability on this planet feels like it's hanging on by a thread. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the, um, just to speak quickly on that, it was also recognizing that like I was the stable one, like the, coming back to that, it's like when you're not looking for everything external to like hold me or trying to find safe ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was knowing that I'm the safe ground. Um, and so I trust that deeply. So that's why when I go into any challenge now, <laughs> it's coming back to that. And then, so it's, and also being like, what's here? What's here? Um, so yes, because, and, and that's the truest form of stability that we didn't get taught. And that's something that I want to, you know, with my child now being like stability starts with you. The, the idea is if I get what I want and if I can avoid what I don't want, I'll be happy. And all of that is external. Yes. Whereas when you realize I am who I want, it's it's not all that stuff out there who I think is me trying to get that, who's I think is me telling me that story that if I get that thing and get that thing and get that relationship and get that car and get that house and get that thing, if I get all those things sorted, I'll be able to breathe. 
you see i'll be happy and it's like it's a, it's a it's a it's a worldwide sickness of just not being conditioned to start first at zero start first at you stable and then create everything you want have the relationship have the have the child have the have, have all of it have all of it but start from zero and the biggest challenge to that is going the person you believe yourself to be is not true and fortunately people like yourself have had to go the person the eating disorder right the person i believe myself to be had to go yes so i appreciate you so much for being the proof in the pudding that each and every one of us are not the person we believe ourselves to be and we are here to transcend that to who we truly are to enable and allow all of everything we could imagine and want to channel out through this this life this precious life that we have yes thank you so much i'm beyond grateful i am beyond grateful as well and i'll i'm sure we'll tune in uh, later down the track with where things are at being a being a uh, as the role as mother at least yeah that that's the next thing that's the next ride <laughs> yes. so yeah stay in touch and um yeah thank you so much for having this conversation thank you for listening to this episode if you got value out of this please share it so that other people can benefit also if you are fed up with the drama, overwhelm or suffering going on in your life and you would like expert guidance and support tailored to your situation, come and be a guest on the Self-Intelligence Podcast. Don't go another day confused how to address the challenges you are facing. If you want to be a guest, go to the link in the description below. And for more information about Self-Intelligence, including joining my next wake-up experience or detailed information about my 12-week Self-Intelligence course, go to selfintelligence.com.